We're going to continue in our sermon series this morning uh, through the book of Proverbs. We've been calling it the way of wisdom, so please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Proverbs. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Uh, Almighty God, we ask that this morning, um, what you reveal about yourself in your word becomes a source of great comfort, hope, and joy to us as it reveals to us your love, your faithfulness, and the forgiveness you offer to us in your son. And boy, uh, do we need that. Uh, We need to hear words of good news. And we ask that this morning you would give us ears to hear and a heart that is receptive to what you would have us to learn. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, I was originally not scheduled to preach today, and this sermon was supposed to conclude the series, which we're going to do next week, but David and I had to switch. Um, And so we're going to end here, and he's going to go back uh, to more of a topic, I think, on friendship next week. So we'll end the series with that before we head into the Lenten season. But for those of you who haven't been around during the sermon series, we're calling this the way of wisdom. And the reason why is because wisdom is something we've been saying every week, every single one of us. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are how long you've lived your life, we all so desperately need wisdom. And it's not about being smart. It's not about IQ. It's about navigating life well in God's world according to his word. Wisdom is being skillful in life, like having those skills in life. And Proverbs, we saw, begins with the fear of the Lord. It says that is the source of wisdom. It starts when you submit your life to God and he becomes the center and the foundation of your whole life. And this takes time, the building up of wisdom. We said it's a pathway, not a door. There are certain things you need to do to stay on that path, stay off the bad path, and to cultivate in us wisdom as God is teaching us. And it really has to do with the orientation of our hearts because the heart really is the compass of our lives. So we need to know God's command, recall his love to us, trust his ways, but ultimately staying on this path, as we've been saying every week, involves staying close to Jesus, staying close to Jesus. 
And this morning, um, I want to talk about how do you actually make a good decision? That seems like a pretty practical thing, because I know a lot of you in here are struggling with that. There are so many decisions that all of you are trying to make in this room, and an amazing amount of pressure when it comes to those decisions to pick the optimal one, right? If you're going to make a decision, you want the one that's the best one. And you know what those kinds of decisions are, right? So if you're a senior in high school, there's some of you here in high school, you're wrestling with, well, should I go to college? Should I take a gap year? Where should I go to college? You know, how much debt should I take on even as a student? Others of you are dating and trying to figure out relationship. And you're saying, should I continue to date this person? Should I marry him or her? Will this marriage work out if I marry him or her? How many children should we have? What if we can't have children? And how should I educate my children? And when should they get their first phone? You know, all of these crazy, hard questions. You know, and some of you are dealing with roommates, frustrations. Oh, they are so inconsiderate, aren't they? You know? So should I confront her or him? Or is it one of those things I should overlook? I don't want to make the situation worse. Am I helping to create a little pressure? in here for all of you guys. You know, I didn't even mention all the pandemic-related decisions and wisdom questions we all had to navigate. We're all recovering from those, right? And as we face all of this, one of the nagging questions remain, how do I know when I make a decision, it's the right decision? When I make a decision, how do I know it's the best one? And I'm going to gather that some of you in here are incredibly frustrated maybe frustrated at God for not being more clear to you and not taking away your fears or your anxieties around having to make a really tough decision. Some of you are even frustrated with yourselves or even mad at yourself about it. But can I just start off to say, I know whatever I say in this sermon, you're going to remain probably frustrated if you're looking for a formula a method, a technique by which you're going to find some certainty about the decision you face and the decision you're going to have to make. Because the Bible doesn't give you that. You know, we can't come up with some algorithm that's going to be the thing you plug in and you get an optimal answer here. I actually think God wants to give us something even better. Because he doesn't want to tell us our future and exactly tell us what to do with the kind of specificity sometimes we're looking for. I mean, he's not a magic eight ball. Neither is the scriptures. It's not a fortune cookie here. But he actually wants us to become people who are wise. And that's the goal we're after here. Okay? So how do we go about actually making good decisions? And the first thing I want to tell you and encourage you in is this. If you're contemplating a decision, a big decision, don't forget the providence of God. That's the first thing I'm going to tell you. Don't forget the providence of God. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And look at how this section ends. It's bookended with verse 9, with the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. 
And what's this trying to say? You know, there's this thing called providence, which is a theological term, and it is a belief that God worked within events to bring about his purposes. He actually works in your lives, our lives, and the events of the world to bring about his purposes. And we learn that his purposes, through things, events, which seem even contrary to his will at times, and we're going to talk more about this, still are all under his control. And what this, these two verses are telling us is we have plans, okay? Men make plans. We can make choices. We can do things. We can choose. But the Lord is the one who actually is in control of all things, which means our decisions aren't ever made in a vacuum if you believe in the Lord God. It takes place in the context of something of his purposes and his will. And what providence actually teaches us is this, and to understand this, that God created all things. He is in control. He is sovereign. Yet he is not the author of evil. That's what the Bible teaches, okay? And as these two verses show us, we are actually responsible for our actions. We are to plan. We are to make choices. We are to do things. But again, That is our role. Yet God is sovereign over all of these things, including evil, but again, is not the author of it, but is never taken off guard by it. So you see in these two verses here, it tells us your actions, your choices, man, they belong to you. You are 100% responsible. So if I do something stupid, if I do something evil, if I do something selfish, If I'm not loving my neighbor, that is 100% on me. We will be held accountable for our actions, yet God is absolutely in control. Nothing happens outside of his control and his plan, yet our choices belong to us. All of these things are somehow intertwined and weaved together under his sovereign care exactly at the same time. Now, if you think about that, you, you begin to try to hold these things together, and it's mysterious. I understand. It's hard. We can't get our minds around this. But after all, if we all, all of a sudden, figure God out, we probably haven't figured God out. You know, you know what I mean? And the verses that we're looking at are teaching us something, how all of this works. Because we have to understand our choices, okay, that we want to make wisely, need to start with a belief in God's sovereignty and his providence. It needs to begin there. And you know why? On the one hand, if you believe that to be true, it cultivates in us a tremendous, tremendous amount of humility. Because the choices you make are meant to be under God's clearly revealed will. And that means we can't do whatever we want to do, and we shouldn't. This is why wisdom and knowledge begin with what? Fear of the Lord, Proverbs 1.7. Knowledge and wisdom actually are tied together to understanding this reality. Psalm 14, verse 1 says, A fool says in his heart, there is no God. What the Bible is saying is, it is very difficult to make wise choices the right choices, when you make them without acknowledging and understanding 
how the world really works. That God is the one who's created it. He set it up. He is sovereign. And you have to take into account his providential care. And when you begin to do that, it builds up in us a humility. This is why uh, chapter 20, verse 24 here, Proverbs, a man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? How can we understand what we choose? This makes us humble. And on the other hand, it gives us so much hope. You know, you don't have to think of yourself so much that you think you can somehow torpedo God's plan by your one action, your bad plan. You know, in chapter 19, verse 21, it says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. That somehow in God's sovereignty, he reworks and reweaves even our foolish, and I'll add sinful choices, into his good purposes. You can even go out and disobey God's command, but you cannot escape his sovereign plan. And now you're, you're probably asking, well, how is this going to make me wise? How does this make me wise if I understand God's providence in all this? Look, journey with me to the book of Genesis for a second. Think about this man, Abraham, and you may know his story because in Genesis 12, he's minding his business and God comes to him in his land of the Ur of the Chaldeans, and God says to him, follow me. I want you to leave behind everything you know that is familiar to you, your family, your land, and I want you to go where I'm telling you to go, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through you and your descendants, I will make you a blessing to all nations. And Abraham believes God, and he and his wife, they leave the land. Many years pass, we get to Genesis 15, and Abraham goes to God and finally says, um, you know, God, I thought you said I'm going to have many descendants, but you know what? My wife, she's kind of past childbearing years. I don't have any children. What are we to do? And God tells him, Abraham, look up to the heavens. You see all the stars up there? I promise you, you're going to have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. And Abraham says, okay, I'll believe you, God. But God remained silent again for many years. So you know what? Abraham and Sarah, they finally say, gosh, God hasn't done much here. So Sarah says, I'm past childbearing years. So how about we do this? I have a maidservant. Her name's Hagar. How about we use her as a surrogate and we have a child? And Abraham looks at her and says, "Uh uh-huh, that's a good idea. He agrees. And Hagar bears Abraham a son. His name is Ishmael. And if you remember the story, it doesn't go well. You know, a lot of family tension. Hagar and Sarah, they get into it. They get sideways. They eventually have to flee the family. A lot of strife. It's not what God had intended for them. But eventually, after many more years, Abraham and Sarah have a son His name is Isaac. And you know how long that took from the time God first promised Abraham? 25 years. 25 years. Now, you may be sitting there and thinking, okay, why didn't God just tell Abraham, hey, in 25 years, 
I'm going to give you a son, okay? 25 years from now, why not just spell this out for him so it's clear the details are there so they don't make this foolish choice along the way? Or why doesn't God just give them a child earlier? All those years of agony and waiting and crying out to God. Did God really need to do it that way? I mean, could it kept Sarah and Abraham from coming up with this plan with Hagar and all this stuff? It could have been much easier. Save people a lot of time. I mean, why didn't he just take that extra 15 minutes in that first conversation to lay this out all for them? And you know why? Because I think in many ways, no one becomes wise like that. Abraham and Sarah would never have figured out they were sinners. That they were people who would have a hard time trusting in the Lord. No one learns about their own flaws by being told about them. And through the experience of life, they are shown. Because part of the way you become wise is you begin to see your own flaws, your sinful tendencies, these things that always seems to lead whenever we have a big decision, whether it's fear, anxiety, trying to prove yourself to others, trying to make a statement. And these things often lead to bad decisions and choices. But unless God is at work kind of shaping you and changing you, you're never going to grow wise. And second reason I think God didn't tell Abraham and Sarah up front about all of this is because no one really believes that God loves them just because they are told. I really believe that. You know, you and I read the Bible all the time, and maybe we have some general idea of it. You hear it from me every week, and David, and up front, and in the songs, in our community group. But man, we don't really believe it in the way that we need to until we begin to experience time and time again where we experience life, where we feel like in that moment, God has abandoned me. And you find out later that you were utterly wrong. Then this kind of has to happen over and over again so that we begin to learn God will not bail on us. And thus, we should not bail on him. And over time, you know what begins to happen? You finally become a person who is wise because you're learning that this is true. We believe that God's providence is there and that somehow, even with all of the hard things, God is going to weave these in to his plan of salvation and good things in your life. And I don't mean that in a, in a way that's just an empty platitude for those of you suffering here. But I'm just telling you, this is how the scriptures describe these things. And oftentimes, we can't see it till much later. But living wisely involves embracing God's sovereignty and our responsibility all at the same time. And that's the thing I want to get across here in this first point. Because how do I go about making wise decisions? And you're saying, well, okay, providence. All right, I'll believe that these things are true. I'll believe that God is trustworthy how does God give guidance then? Because I still have a decision to make here. I'm at a fork in the road. How is God going to help me make this important decision? So jump to chapter 16, verse 3 with me here. And I think this is a very key phrase in the first three verses of Proverbs 16. It says, commit your works to the Lord 
and your plans will be established or succeeded. That's another way of saying it. You read that, and your first impression is that, okay, that's great. I'll come up with a plan. I'll give it to God. I'll dedicate it to it. I'll consecrate it to him. And as long as he does that, this should be successful. Man, if it were that easy, right? I'll just give it to him, and he'll bless my plan, and it's going to be successful. But if you look at it carefully, it actually doesn't say that. It says, commit your work in a general way to the Lord. Commit yourself, and you will become a person who will be established, whose plans will be wise. Your plans are going to be established because you're making them along the path of what God is calling you to. This word commit, in Hebrew, it's goal. Literally, it sounds like roll, you know? And it's rolling onto something to put all your weight on it and to say, I unconditionally trust God for everything that happens in my life. That's what you're doing. You're saying, I'm going to do that first. I'm going to you know, unconditionally commit everything my time, my energies, my trust. And then in that space, you begin to take into account God's sovereignty, his providential care, your sinful tendencies, what you know about yourself, your strength, the circumstance, and you're going to make a plan. That's what you're saying you do. And you're going to do. Because to demand God's guidance in life when you aren't really pursuing his revealed purposes and obeying his explicit commands is foolishness. God's not like a chatbot. You, you ask a question and it's going to spit out an essay for you. You know, it's not like that. And if you want to become a person who makes good decisions, you have to start with this. You have to become a wise person. Um, there's a quote in the front of your bulletin from uh, Tim Keller in his little devotional that he wrote with his wife, Kathy, on the book of Proverbs. And I found a line in there that I think summarizes this really well for us. And he writes, if you survey Proverbs for methods of discerning God's will, you will conclude that the book does not talk about how God guides as much as whom God guides. You see? So it's after a change in you so that you can actually make good decisions. I was reflecting on this, and, um, you know, we looked at Romans chapter 12 in our time of confession as the words that leads us into confession. And I think it says something very, very similar, and I want us to consider this the rest of our time. Because the Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Think about that for a second. You're going to present yourself as a living sacrifice, meaning what? You're going to commit everything to him, right? A living sacrifice, that's what you're doing. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And listen to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. He's saying, don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed. We prayed about this together. Tom introduced this for us earlier. So that we can discern. You're trying to discern what to do, what is good 
and acceptable and perfect. So he's saying the same thing. First thing you have to do is actually what? Consecrate yourselves. If you're going to discern God's will and make good choices, begin by giving yourself to him. And then secondly, think, be transformed into someone who knows God's will. How do you do that? And you're thinking, wait a second, I thought God does love the world. Doesn't he care about it? You know, and he does. But there, aren't there so many good things about our culture to enjoy? We have sports. There's a big sporting event tonight, I know, okay? There's art. There's music, technology, there's food. I mean, there's so many things that we are to enjoy in our culture, right? But understand this. In this world, in all human cultures and in all enterprises, there will always be spiritual, cultural principles that are offered as an alternative to God's way. That's what Paul is saying you have to watch out for. And these are always around you. And if you try to fit into culture to look and be like a chameleon, to reflect what the culture says, you are often going to be at odds with the will of God and the kingdom of God. That is what this verse is saying. So in J.B. Phillips' translation of this verse, it says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. There's always a squeezing, always an alternative. And the squeezing comes in both from the right side and the left. I mean, I don't want you to sit there and say, aha, it's the left. You know, that's where all the squeezings come from. No, it's everywhere. We know that. It's all the alternatives about our money, our lifestyles, about our sexuality, about the way you should spend your time. You know, there is always an alternative out there from God's way. And the text says, Don't let that drive you, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's what we need more than anything else if we're going to make wise choices. The renewing of our minds. And the scriptures talk about in different places, three ways this happens. You know, if you're a Christian and the spirit of God is actually indwelling in you, the promise is you are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. This means that you come into a living relationship with him, so his spirit actually dwells in you, and you become like him. You begin to see things, and your values start to align with God's values. Your kingdom begins to align with his kingdom. You know, it's just kind of normal. And you begin to have eyes to recognize the alternative. That's a falsehood. That's... That's not really going to deliver what it promises, but the kingdom of God is real. So it begins by knowing him spiritually through faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 says this, and we all are being transformed into his image. Into his image. We're being transformed into that. That's the first thing. The second thing, you begin to know God's mind and understand his purposes Because you begin to study his word and you see he speaks to us through his scriptures. So let the word of God dwell in you richly. So that God's truths become your truths. Because even though on our own, you know, our thoughts are not like his thoughts. And our ways are not like your ways, oh God. Yet as Jesus comes into your life, 
and the word of God begins to feed us. It is our bread. We begin to change, you know? You begin to think differently. Uh, you begin to live for different things, and the, this is the kingdom of God. It fills your heart and your imagination and your life, and it starts to shape how you make decisions and the choices you make. And so not only do you have the Spirit of God transforming you, you have God's Word, and you have this thing called the community of God's people. Because this is just not an individualistic, pietistic exercise, but you do it in community. Because when two or more are gathered, there's a unique way in which Jesus shows up to be present in our lives. That's the promise of the Scriptures. We know Him, we know His Word, we know His people, And God uses all of this undergirded in prayer as we ask God to be at work to lead us, to shape us, and to change us. That's what we need, this sort of transformation in order that we can discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, all of you are saying, all right, I'm still trying to make a decision, Iron. I need something more. Okay? And look, I'll give you a couple of things. All right, I use this thing in my mind where I have three circles in decision making. The first circle, just imagine a circle with me here, of all the things the scriptures tell us that are prohibited. Okay? You look in that circle and you see the Bible saying, okay, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not steal, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. When the scripture says no, we have to actually say, okay, that really means no. And some of the pressure or the pain in your life right now is because something you want, your loving Heavenly Father has actually told you no. And you know, somehow we're hoping through our own sophistication or by discovering a loophole that somehow no one for thousands of years have thought of, okay? And somehow we just discovered it, right? We want to hang on to that one thing that your Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father has been saying no to. So we need to walk away from that and just say no. That really saves a whole lot of pain and suffering, okay? The grace of God that has appeared in this world has given us us the power to say no to ungodliness. Titus chapter 2. The gospel will give you the power you need in order to turn away from these things. And I understand these are hard. But think about that circle. So when you go to make a decision, if it's in that bucket, you just say, okay, it's pretty clear. That's a no. You have a second circle. Think of all the things God is encouraging you to do, all his positive commands. And we look at the scriptures and it tells us that we're to do what? Love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. All the stuff we talked about with our wisdom and our speech. We're talking about our friendships. We're talking about not stealing. All of that, that, that's part of how we're becoming wise because we're trying to live out the positive commands. And we should be spending most of our time in these two buckets, learning obedience so we can grow in wisdom and Christ-likeness. And then there's the third circle. When we're no longer dealing with disobedience or obedience, but there are several options before you which could be a valid, equal option. Now, 
How do you know God's will? That's the question, right? This is where God's providence come in. You have the right hand of God's capital G guidance, which is the revealed will of God is what we are supposed to focus on. And we are making decisions in light of that truth, okay? And sometimes we try so hard to pick that most optimal decision, the one that is God's perfect will, that somehow we can hit the bullseye. You know, if it's like a dartboard, you're trying to hit the bullseye. I don't want to make a mistake. This is too scary. And you're just like paralyzed here. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians are struggling because you are trying to figure out, I don't want to make mistakes. And you know what providence actually does for you? It gives you the freedom to say, God, I am entrusting all of myself to you. I am following everything you're telling me to do. And now the best I can do is to say, I trust you and I make a decision. This is what uh, St. Augustine said in a sermon he preached on 1 John chapter 4. You know, this is the 4th century. He said, this is how you go about it. You give yourself fully to God. You consecrate yourself. You commit your ways. You do all the things we're talking about. And then you say, I love you. And then he said, go make a choice. And you're like, wait, isn't there more than that? You know, what, what about like finding peace? What about a hunch? What about a coincidence? And let me tell you two Christian extremes that I want to encourage you to avoid in this, okay? First are for all those who love reading the Bible and you like something structured and you want to avoid all the things like hunches. And if someone says to you, God, God is guiding me and I feel something, you don't want to hear it. You cover your ears and you're thinking, la, 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 go away, Okay. And you're like, I don't want that spiritual spooky stuff. I want to see the revealed word of God. And on the other hand, we have some of you who are a little bit more on the other extreme side, which are a more Christian mystical approach, right? The person who's always thinking they have these amazing signs and impressions you're receiving all the time. And begin to say, you know, I think God is calling me to the mission field. It's just on my heart. And... I think I'm supposed to get married and go to the mission field. And I feel led to go to the Marshall Islands because I felt this call last week while I was at the Marshalls in San Carlos. <laughs> and then later in the week, I met this guy. You know what? And you know what his name was? Marshall. <laughs> and he's from Marshall, California. And, and you want to live your life with this kind of like being on this journey of drama. And it's like, okay, those are the two extremes you want to avoid. But I want to encourage you to think about it this way. God's providence is one of the ways he works and helps you make decisions. His providence. You know, sometimes you, you plan a vacation. Let's say you're going to Cancun and a hurricane hits. Well, okay, God kind of cleared up for you. You probably shouldn't be going that way. And he does work in our feelings and hunches. I don't want to discount all of that. I'm just saying the extremes on both of it are the things I want you to avoid. I had a person in, my, in the church I pastored in New York years and years ago who was taking his subway that he always takes to work, and it was one of these beautiful fall days, decided to get off 
earlier. Because it's so gorgeous. I just want to walk, enjoy the weather, and walk to the office. And as he was walking, he sees a plane flying into his building. It was the Twin Towers. Now, did he go, oh, what luck? No, he, you know, the only thing he could say was, God, thank you. Thank you for nudging me to get off early because you have a purpose for me to be alive. I would have been in that office on the 80-whatever floor when that plane would have hit otherwise. And he's saying, no, God, you nudged me. You were at work in my life, and I praise you for it. You know, Archbishop William Temple said, it's interesting that when I pray, lots of coincidences seems to happen. He says, God does work in amazing ways. He does work in our lives. And he says, when I don't pray, I kind of don't notice any coincidences. And he's saying part of it is because we're not tuned in to everything the Lord is at work doing. Now, here's a word I have for you. If you come to a decision and you feel uneasy and you feel distressed, and what are you supposed to do with that? I know a lot of you feel that. First, go back to what's revealed. Go back to the scriptures. Pray about that decision. Look at the scriptures. Find wisdom. Go get wise counsel. Get input from people who know you and your situation so that you can make an informed decision. Use the providence. Use the experience. But I'm just saying, don't live by just the experience. The same way if you feel great about a decision... I mean, I don't think it's an excuse for spiritual laziness. It's something to be able to go and say, Lord, I'm always a foolish person. I need you to speak into my mind and my heart because if I'm doing something foolish, please, Lord, show me because I want to know. And yet, while you do all this, trust. Trust in God's providence that he's going to care for you. Believe that there may be mistakes you make that God wants you or leaves you to make so he can humble you. So he can show you what really matters. That's part of his purpose. But, hey, if you're doing something, that's still 100% on you, okay? Don't forget those two things. One of the most remarkable verses in the Bible, and let me finish with this, is in the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. It talks about the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's, those are the opening words of Matthew, right? But when you get to verse 6, it says this, And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. I mean, that sentence there is packed with a whole lot of stuff. Why? Because this passage is taking one of the greatest mistakes ever made by anyone. The bad choice by David, the sinful choice of adultery, followed by murdering his friend to cover it up, okay? And God, even taking that bad decision and mistake and weaving it into his plan to bring Jesus into the world. As the true son of David, the king who would order all things. I mean, what does that mean? It means that even when you have made mistakes, even when you've made really terrible decisions, for the Christian, you know that Jesus has died for you. 
He was raised for you. He's coming back for you. And someday you will reign with him. And that's a confidence in which where you can say, okay, Lord, I'm going to make a choice here and trust in you. Because with you, there is no plan B. There is no plan B. Do not fear. Do not fear. Love God. Give him yourself. And make your choice. And then go to him. Let us pray. Father, we, uh, we come to you as people who are full of anxiety and a mess when it comes to big decisions where we feel so afraid to make a mistake that we're almost paralyzed. And Lord, we bring our anxieties to you today. We bring our fears. We, we bring our pride and we ask that, Lord, um, you would be the one to give us your wisdom through your son so that we would grow in wisdom, that we would become people whose minds are transformed and that we would make decisions that love you, love our neighbor, that, that extends your kingdom. Help us to learn to be people who do this more and more. It doesn't matter if we're eight years old in here or if we're in our 60s or 70s. Father, we need this so badly. And we pray that as we draw near to your son, these things would be more and more imparted to us. And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.